The information provided on this podcast is for general information purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Reliance on any information provided here is solely at your own risk. Welcome. This is Birth, baby. Your hosts are Sierra Morgan and Samantha Kelly. Sierra is a birth doula, hypnobirthing educator, and pediatric sleep consultant. Samantha is a birth doula, childbirth educator, and lactation counselor. Join us as we guide you through your options for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. All right, y'all. Today we are here with Dr. Whitaker. He is a board-certified pediatrician and fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He completed his PhD in biochemistry at Rice University, medical degree at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio, and pediatric residency at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. He has over 20 years of experience in a variety of settings, including newborn hospital, emergency and urgent care facilities, outpatient clinic for children with complex health needs, and mental health difficulties. Y'all, the fact that he even wants to be here and talk to us is such an honor, and he is going to talk to us today about fevers in newborns, which we know a lot of parents freak out about. So thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Whitaker. Thank you, Sierra, and thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate what you do, Empowered Beginnings, too, with the families. Oh, thank you so much. We're so excited to have you here. So to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to become a pediatrician? Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think being a pediatrician is a little bit of a calling. You know, I can't imagine anybody not wanting to work with kids. Um, they're so genuine and, and real. And, uh, and parents are more likely to follow through on their plans of action, whereas adults are harder. Um, you can tell them what to do, but, you know, you know how that goes. But kids are wonderful. I remember as a kid always being like, but the doctor said, like, when you're a kid, it's like, that's the be all end all. It's like the police. They said. Yeah, I know the relationships are great. And to watch them and talk to them and listen to what they have to say is always, especially like three-year-olds who tell you about their day. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's always so fun. Samantha's kids were just heckling her the other day for eating sugar while she was uh, while she was sick. Her kids were talking about her, not to her, in the same room as her, being like, mom's not going to be healthy if she's already sick and she's eating sugar. It's just bad for her body. And she was like, why? They listen? Like, what do they listen to? <laughs> me? Yeah, but so rude. Do. Yeah, yeah, they listen. Is- it, it works. But- yeah, but you should have sugar when you're sick. That's that's the oh. one time you should, right? Oh, if thank you. I'm gonna love you more. <laughs> thank you. All I ever want is just a cookie, and then my kids are over yeah. there. She's gonna be sick forever. Rude. <laughs> that's so, funny. so, as a parent of newborns, we get questions a lot about this stuff, and we always have to say, "Not a doctor. We're not a doctor." But what what signs should parents look for in their babies? that go, you know what, maybe I should take their temperature. Yeah, that's a hard one, you know. So so when I when I see my newborns, one of the first things I always mention to them is if your baby has a fever, um, you need to call me, you need to contact me. But we don't really go into big discussions about why. 
um, but it's really important. And, and today I want to I focus on fevers in babies that otherwise don't look too sick because it's very different than a baby who looks sick because fever or no fever, that baby needs to be evaluated. Persistent crying, irritability, sleeping too much, not being able to wake them up, breathing funny, too fast, too slow, or grunting, any changes in their skin color, like appearing pale or bluish, um, diarrhea, vomiting, those are all concerns. Uh, and of course, lethargy or, or unusual rashes. And then if they're not drinking and they're signs of dehydration. So those things with fever or no fever need to be evaluated. So when we talk about fever in newborns a lot of time, the newborns that first 28 days of life, and it's also called the neonatal period. A fever in that age, most of those kids don't have a lot of severe symptoms. They have fever and maybe not quite acting themselves, maybe not quite feeding so well, but they don't appear very sick. Okay. And so you said those first 28 days. So what, you know, that's qualifying as a newborn in what is a fever like considered? Cause I know it's different for different ages, right? Yeah. And a fever is a hundred point four. A lot of times people will talk about low grade fevers. Oh, my, my baby had a low grade fever of 99 or a hundred, but those are still considered normal. Um, any temperature a hundred point four or more is, is, is a fever. And, I, you know, I often wonder who chose that number. It must have been a committee of people sitting around. Why not 100.3? Why not 100.4, you know? And I guess they looked at temperatures across many, many, many people and babies, and they, they came to this conclusion. But still, I think it's, it's On funny. Average. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And what about, like, measuring a newborn's temperature? Are the, like, forehead thermometers sufficient, or do we need to, like, be taking the rectal temperatures? What? How can we do that accurately? Yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to make one other point, is we worry about fever, 100.4 more, but we also worry about low temperature in babies, so oh. usually 97.7 or below, because babies can kind of have the opposite reaction, where their fevers go lower than normal. Um, more higher than normal. You know what's um, funny? I mean, I, I was yeah. sick last week or two weeks ago now, and I had a, like, I knew, I woke up in the middle of the night and I just knew I had a fever based on how I felt. But yeah. I took it, and when I first took it, it was like 99.7. And for me, I was like, I don't even care. I don't even care that it's not above a certain amount. <laughs> I know it's going higher, and I feel like crap. But it's funny how much more, like, I feel like little kids you know, tolerate it a little bit better. Here I am, a big old fat wimp at 38 years old going, I'm 99.7. Oh, um, no. So, yeah. and I just take it with my forehead, you know, thermometer. But we do see, you know, in kids, people kind of argue about like, well, if you take it with the forehead thermometer at a degree or whatever. So kind of what is your opinion on that? I Only rectal uh, temperatures are accurate. That measures the core body temperature the most accurately. The problem with forehead ones, axillary ones, um, uh, armpit ones, um, babies don't regulate their temperature very well. So different parts of their body can feel very warm as they're trying to lose heat or gain heat. They can feel too cold. And so those temperatures usually aren't accurate. And then like what you were talking about, sometimes when you just know you have a fever, but the thermometer's not measuring it. Um, sometimes you could be on the upswing heading towards fever or you could be coming on, on down from the fever. So sometimes we're catching it at the wrong moment. But with mm -hmm. babies, 
medically, what we decide to do is definitely dependent on that number of 100.4 rectally. And a lot of times I have a lot of parents who really are hesitant to do rectal temperatures. They're uncomfortable with it for some reason. I, you know, for me, I, I would I, be. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I was fine it. with it. My husband yeah. was like, absolutely not. Like you're in charge of that. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. You know, I don't understand what, what the uncomfortableness is, you know, but, but yeah, a lot of families, yeah, just uncomfortable, but it's the only way. And, and it's super easy you know, you just take your little digital thermometer, wipe it with some alcohol, and we use petroleum jelly, uh, like water-based, petro- petro- not petroleum, I'm sorry, water-based lubricating jelly. Um, mm-hmm. But you can use Vaseline or aquaphor or something, and you only put it in a, like a half inch. It's not that far to get the temperature. And it's easy if you just kind of grab their feet and bend their knees into their belly um, and just insert it just a little bit. But it's the only, it's the only way to to, to take a temperature. The other thing I wonder about, yeah, another thing I wonder about is like, especially in the emergency department, people would come in and my baby has a temperature or fever. And um, I always wonder why they checked it. You know, if a baby feels sick, that's that's obvious. It's, it's not, but a lot of times it's because the heads feel warm. But like I said, because of thermal, you know, regulation, not being able to regulate the heat very well. Their heads can a lot of times feel very hot, even though their temperature is normal. Yeah. So what would be like the signs that a fever might be serious? And when should someone call the doctor for a fever with a newborn? Well, number one, you always have to call a doctor if you're newborn in that first 28 period. I mean, we could talk about older than that. The algorithms change a little bit, but I want to focus on that newborn period. Any fever has got to be... Uh, you have to call the doctor, go to the emergency room, et cetera, okay. et cetera, because it's a potentially medical emergency. And like I said, a lot of babies don't have any other signs of, of infection or, or they're like mildly acting, not quite themselves. And everybody's going to take their baby in if they're really appearing sick for those reasons we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. It can be hard to but tell I'll, with a newborn, for sure. It is, yeah. yeah. And we always no, say I that agree. skin to skin, you know, doing that skin to skin. We always say at least for the like the first forty days, as much skin to skin as you can get, because babies have a harder time, like you were saying, regulating their body temperature and keeping it, and it's just a little bit more difficult for their little systems to do. But you know, we've some parents that are like, you know, all ends of the spectrum, right? But we've had parents who literally take their baby's temperature every day. Because they're just so worried about a fever and a newborn. Or actually, I find that parents worry more about worrying that their baby's too cold. Um, So, but it's just as important if your baby has a fever. If you have a six-year-old and, you know, their fever is breaking, you're like, oh, well, great. Fever's breaking. Don't have to do anything about it. Sounds good. But as a for a newborn, somebody under 28 days, if they have that happen, even if they're breaking the fever on their own, we still need to do a little bit more digging, right? To kind of figure out what's going on. Yes, fever needs to be evaluated. If, if I can emphasize that um, a- any stronger. The problem is that baby's immune system's really young. They have a hard time recognizing illness and they have a hard time responding to the illness. So, so especially something like a, a bacterial infection can take hold very quickly. And a child who may appear okay with a fever now can very quickly become very, very sick. Yeah. Yeah. That 
I, I think that a lot of people get nervous to call the doctor because they don't want to be, you know, the, like the mom that cried wolf or something like that. Like we don't want to be taking the baby in like all the time. Or the other end of it is, you know, ERs are gross and they have a lot of stuff going on. And it's really scary to take your, you know, itty bitty fresh newborn into an ER, you know, even for something like a fever. So I think that's, you know, where providers like you come in really handy and you can say, you know, let's, let's address this and see what's going on. And then we can decide if you need to go into the ER or if you can, you know, come into the office and different things like that, I would imagine. Yeah, no, I agree with that a hundred percent. Now, if, Working in the emergency room for a number of years, we see a lot of see a lot of babies come in for fever. One of the things that parents should understand is that when a baby comes, especially in that newborn period, if they show up with a fever, or parents even said they have had a fever at home, they go back to a room immediately. They don't wait in the waiting room with a awesome. bunch of sick kids, um, not being exposed. They they're taken immediately to a room, no matter how busy it is. And that's, that's purely really because, yeah, and it's purely because kids can get sick very quickly. They can just progress very quickly. I remember I, I didn't that... want to take my kid in further. I didn't even want to go to the doctor for the well kid visits because I was like, there are kids in here that are sick. I don't care if they're on the yeah. other side. I don't care. If, like, <laughs> it's just the same room, guys. You know, I was yeah. so freaked out about that. So I know uh -huh. when, when you're at home and your baby has a fever and you know you're going to have to bring them in but like you're like oh my gosh i want to fix it you know parents want to fix it is there anything that they can be doing when they're at home to keep their baby more comfortable when they have a fever yeah i, I think about this too so you cannot give tylenol uh, their their livers aren't mature enough to be able to break it down you can't mm -hmm. give ibuprofen because their kidneys aren't mature enough to break it down so no no tylenol no ibuprofen in that first um, it's, it's two months for Tylenol and it's six months for ibuprofen, but in that newborn period, absolutely not. The other thing is, um, a lot of people say, oh, I'll give them a cool bath or something like that. But again, babies lose heat very quickly and they gain heat very quickly. So putting them in a cool bath to try to cool them down can lower their temperature too much. And okay. the other thing is we don't really want to mask a fever in a baby. We, if they have a fever, we want to know because that's going to dictate what we do from there on. So and would skin to skin be good for that then? The, that's exactly, the lowering that's the fever? Ex exactly. And, and I think what's, what, what's important is to comfort your child as much as possible. And I think skin to skin is a, a large part of that. And like you said, that, that, our body temperatures help to regulate their body temperatures. So uh, yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea. So let's means... just say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. <laughs> so let's just say that as a, as a parent, you know, I have this baby and I think that she's running a fever. So I've decided that I'm going to take her in to have this fever addressed. What could I expect when I, when I bring in my newborn? Yeah, it, the most common infections that babies have newborns, let, let's, let's say in those first few days of life, when you're still in the hospital, it's a little bit different. You know, parents get, uh, mothers get tested for, for group B strep. They may, they may uh, hear that word a lot. That's a really common cause of, of bacterial infection in, the, in those first few few days of life. And that's because that bacteria has got a mucousy coat, it's sticky, it's hard for the immune system to recognize 
other things are prolonged fever in the newborn in those first, if mom has pro prolonged, or, I'm sorry, if, if mom has prolonged rupture of membranes more than 24 mm. hours, that increases the risk. Or if mom has a fever during delivery, that increases the risk for bacterial infection too. So there's that. And then let's say you're, you're at home and it's a week or two later. Most common causes, urinary tract infection, um, pneumonia, bacteria in the blood, and, and of course, bacteria around the brain or meningitis. Right. So, so when, we, when you go to get evaluated, they're going to check um, the baby's blood. They're going to check the baby's urine. And uh, oftentimes, they'll check the fluid that goes around the brain for sites of infection. Gotcha. We have had so few moms, luckily, knock on all the wood, to have to ever go to the ER. You're yeah. okay, people on YouTube, you get to see it. Samantha's <laughs> laughing because I didn't do this. Yeah. I always knock on all the wood around my head. Um, yeah. Look at me. So uh, when when people take, we've had a few moms have to take their babies to the, or our parents, I should say. Um, you know, one time it was very low fever or very low temperature, like super yes. low. Mm -hmm. Another time yeah. it was an eye infection and she just didn't feel comfortable waiting for the pediatrician's office to open again. She wanted to go mm -hmm. straight to the ER, you know, um, but, you know, it is very rare. So I you know, want parents to hear this knowing that it's not super common. And for those of you that have babies in a hospital setting, you know, they're being monitored for some of these things before you go home. For those of you that are having home births or birth centers, you do have midwives that are still taking care of you guys afterward and checking in on you. And so a lot of times these things are getting caught early on and we're being able to help um, we as in your team. And, you know, if you do have to go, as scary as that might seem, it doesn't have to be so awful, right? It's so wonderful that we do have the, the doctors and the nurses and all of these people that are able to help us recognize these things and take care of it before it gets too off the rails. Yeah, you've made a really good point because a lot of the things I talk about are very scary, but like you say, they're not common. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the the staff, the, the pediatricians, the nurses, uh, all the staff have been used to working with these kids for a long time and make things as comfortable as possible. Um, I don't know, there's something about people who work in the pediatric world where we're just kind and nice. It's very different than working in an adult medicine world where people are a little bit more, I don't know what you would call it, but yeah, it's uh, all the people that work in pediatrics tend to be really compassionate and uh, kind group, I think, and funny. I think they're pretty funny too. You know, I, yeah, I would agree too. The people that are dealing with the babies always seem to be the happiest because gosh, you're looking at a baby, even yeah. if it's for a, mm -hmm. a reason that they're not healthy. Yeah. You know, I know this isn't what we're technically here to talk about, but it relates. I have a lot of parents who have, you know, we have a lot of parents who are second time or third time or fourth time parents. And they have these older kids at home and they're just panicking that their older kid is going to get their younger kids sick, you know, and it's all the time. Yeah. And we talk about how, you know, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're being exposed to that bacteria and then or, or virus or whatever, and your breast milk is creating antibodies to help your baby fight whatever thing they may be exposed to. But those things that you just listed are not typical, you know, four-year-old bringing home from preschool illnesses. Those are things that are more internal. And so, would you say that it's usually something like that? Because I think that that's what you just said, but I'm clarifying. Or would you say that it's, you know, older people getting these babies sick? 
Yeah, I think it's a good point. You know, when babies come home, you know, it's it's obvious good hand washing. You, you don't want a whole lot of people coming over. And in, in, especially during this winter season, you want people that do come over wearing masks, no kissing on the babies, that type of stuff. But we tend to hold babies very close to our face. And, and that viruses and things like that are transmitted mostly uh, through respiratory. Um, that being said, most babies, most kids who get fevers, most times it's viral, just like you said. And especially if you have um, little olders or preschoolers who are bringing stuff home, you're exactly correct. Those babies get sick more often sooner than, than the first baby. However, you can't, the only way to say that it's a virus in a baby is to exclude worst case situations. Most times they evaluate those things and the baby's doing fine. They watch them in the hospital for a night. If they're doing well, all the blood work and all that looks great. Yeah, then they say, yeah, it's probably a virus, but you can't ever assume that it's a virus. Right. And it, even like... Uh, you can't, let, let's say a baby comes and they have a, a good ear infection. Well, number one, it's weird that a two-year-old or a two-week-old would have an ear infection, but the, even that doesn't exclude a further workup because why does a, a newborn have an ear infection? Could they have infection other in, in another place also? So, um, yeah, so, so you're right. Most of it's virus. Most of babies are okay, um, but we have to make sure because you don't want to miss that one that's not. Right. So I guess we, we, we didn't have this on our list. So I'm just going to throw it at you. But yeah. when would a, like, how would a parent decide if they should take their baby into the pediatrician versus like an urgent care or their local hospital or even going, you, you know, like here in Austin, we have Dell Children's and the, the Texas Children's Hospital. So how would they decide which place to take their, their baby to? Yeah, that's our question. You know, in our practice, we're, we're on 24-7. So we're always available for um, a parent to call and ask for advice on what they should do or not do. And even if they have to go to the emergency room, we'll call them first, let them know that they're coming and what they're coming for. Um, the best place to take um, a, children, a child, a baby especially, would be an emergency room for children. And okay. our options, our options here are Dell Children's Main Campus, Dell, Dell Children's North, or St. David's uh, Children's Hospital, and soon, soon there's going to be Texas Children's Emergency Children's Emergency Room. So there's a lot of options, but not a freestanding urgent care, especially okay. one, especially one that um, deals primarily with adults. But even, even when I worked in emergency uh, in, the, in an urgent care outside of the emergency room. Uh, environment. If I had a newborn come with a fever, I immediately would send them to the children's emergency room because we're just not equipped to do all the things that the testing that needs to be done. Sure, because in those helpful. emergency cases where it is something bigger, you would want them to be in the place they can get all the help, even if it yeah. is you know a cold or something. You'd rather be yeah. safe and have them in that place that has all the tools. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to emphasize too. So, so if the fever is 100.4, what, what the heck do you do with 100.2 or 100.3? You're at home. Yeah. What do you do? You know, because, because the, the emergency room isn't going to work up 100.3. And like I was talking about before babies, it's that number, it's that magic number. Who knows where it came from? 
but um, the, since babies don't regulate heat and cold very well, the first thing we do is remove a layer and check that baby's temperature in, an, in a half hour again. Um, if you come into the emergency room with 100.3, what they'll do is they'll keep you for three hours and they'll measure that temperature every half hour. And if in, within three hours, the, your baby has no fever and is looking great, they'll send you home. So that's a good time to call the pediatrician um, because you can watch, you can, you can do this at home. Now, if a baby is seriously sick in that three-hour period, they're going to get worse. They're, they're, they're not going to have an eight-hour period where they don't have fever and then it comes back like we do. I love that. Uh, I love that guidance. Yeah. That's so helpful for parents that are listening to this at home and being like, okay, now I kind of have a game plan of what yeah. to do. Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned, you know, in your practice that you are, you know, you're 24 seven. Um, I know that this isn't what we're on here for, but I do think it's important to talk about how is that, what is that, and how can people find someone like you, you or someone like you, and are you taking new patients at the time of this recording, which is in February of 2024? Yeah, we're, we're a different model. We're a direct primary care model. So um, we're membership-based, and we're not limited by insurance. And since, since we don't have to spend a lot of money on ancillary stuff like billing departments and this type of thing, we can keep our patient panels a lot lower and we keep our patient panel low so we're available um, for same day visits, for, for calls, for texts, for virtual visits that same day. And then since we're not restricted by insurance requirements too, a lot of things can be dealt with over the phone, over text and over virtual. Um, we are accepting new patients. Um, you have access to us directly. Uh, there's no nurse line in between us or a nurse practitioner in between us. It's just me and Dr. G. So uh, yeah, it's it's, and since our patient panels are low, uh, it's not like we're getting inundated with with calls twenty four seven. And I'll tell you, we have had families use y'all, and they are it's just different. It's just different to have, to be able to text yeah. your pediatrician a picture of your baby's random rash on their face and have your pediatrician go totally normal. Or, you yeah. know what, try this cream. And if it doesn't clear up in three days, you didn't have to like go into the doctor. And just like yeah. we said before, you don't want to expose your kid to the germs of a doctor's office if you don't have to. Another beautiful thing about it is that you guys do home visits. I think it's a little bit of a small additional charge, but that is such huge piece of peace of mind, especially for someone who's the third kiddo and there's a 10 year old and a four year old at home or whatever. And you don't have to drag everybody around. You know? Yeah. Or just, or just have bringing it. I, I just can't imagine bringing a three day old in a car out to an office, um, being exposed to, to, to whatever, you know, it, it, it makes no sense for me. You know, I was in the emergency room for a number of years, and it was really difficult. I wanted to do general peds again, really wanted to be a pediatrician again. Um, I, I couldn't find a practice that I could join with a clear conscience. I can't push kids, 30 kids, 15-minute visits, go, 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 and, and not be there available for them, not be able to pull and consolidate all the, the, the consultants and all the other things. Just there, there wasn't the time. I couldn't do it until I found Dr. G. And uh, we get to be pediatricians the, the way I think it should be done. Well, you didn't That's name so drop, so but much. I'm going to. 
their Blue Monarch Pediatrics in Austin, Texas area. <laughs> and you. we are going to put the information on how to find you guys in the show notes. Um, and, you know, since you are taking new clients at this time, that's awesome. If you guys are listening from other states, the direct care, you said it's called a direct care model? Direct primary care. Direct primary care. So, you know, I know that there are places like this everywhere, but they are smaller. Yeah. And I will tell you, I just think you are such an incredible addition to Dr. G's team. Um, I, I'm so thankful that that she had you and that you guys found each other. Thank okay. you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, and we're I think gonna for those of you that again. aren't, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think for those of you that aren't in the Austin area, I think it's important to know this is like this is a growing model. I'm hearing more and more about this, so these options are available, you know, outside of Austin and in other places as well. So definitely, if that's something you're interested in, you know, do some searches, ask around. It's out there. And it's cool. Yeah. We like it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I like thank it a lot too. Well, thank you so much for being yeah. here today, Dr. Whitaker. And we really just appreciate your knowledge and that you're willing to give this information to parents. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Birth, baby. Thanks again to Longing for Orpheus for our music. You can look him up on Spotify. Remember to leave a review, share, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.